All right, go ahead and take your Bibles. <clears throat> Turn with me to Acts 17. Acts chapter 17. We'll finish out the chapter 17 of Acts this morning. I know it feels like we're probably picking up a little bit of speed, preaching more verses. Maybe I am. But today's message that I've got for you this morning is titled this, Proclaiming the Known God. Proclaiming the Known God. This is, this is a passage that is, is probably one of the most familiar passages in the book of Acts in which Paul is preaching to the Athenians. He's preaching in the Oropagus. He's preaching to the Greeks. A pluralistic society. And what we're going to see as we look at this text is we're going to see how relevant it is for us today in the world that we live in. So Acts 17, if you're there, say word. Go ahead and stand with me in the reading in the honor of the reading of the Word of God. We're going to go from verse 16 through the end. Now, while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him and some said, What does this babbler wish to say? Others said he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to the Oropagus, saying, May we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting. For you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, that what these things mean. Now all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Oropagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. 
Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. The times of ignorance God overlooked. But now he commands all people everywhere to repent. Because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Now when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. But others said, we will hear you again about this. So Paul went out from their midst, but some men joined him and believed. Among whom also were Dionysius the Oropagite and a woman named Damaris and others with them. Let's pray. Father God, we are thankful for your word. But God, we need your help this morning. As we seek to see the truth that you have, God, help me as your messenger to handle this rightly and help us to be reminded of the gospel. We ask all this in your son's precious name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Now, Paul... In this situation, Paul has just left Thessalonica and Berea. Now, we looked at that last week. He preaching in Thessalonica. They got mad at him. They, 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 they tried to, they tried to, to kill him. They, he fled. They were looking for him. They caused a riot. He went to Berea, started preaching in Berea. Then the people of Thessalonica heard he was in Berea preaching. So the riot went to Berea and chased after him. And then Paul fled. Again, now he is by himself in Athens. Athens is a very pluralistic society. Many gods are in Athens. Many idols. In fact, one commentator said, you will find more idols in Athens than you will find men. That's how many idols they had. What I want to show you this morning is this. Here's the the main idea. The main idea is an unbelieving world needs to hear the gospel of a knowable God. An unbelieving world needs to hear the gospel of a knowable God. This has been Paul's intention Everywhere he goes, he's proclaiming the gospel. He goes into the synagogues, he's proclaiming the gospel. He goes into the streets, he's proclaiming the gospel. He's trying to show the world, trying to show them that Christ is the Lord and Savior. But he comes into Athens and he is introduced to something that is not very common in what we've already seen. He, he goes first into the synagogue and he's preaching, but then he ends up preaching to Greeks, Gentiles, people who are believing other gods. Now, this is important for us today. We live in a world in which idolatry is rampant. I think it's Kyle Eidelman's book, Gods at War. He makes the argument that all of our sin is rooted in the sin of idolatry. All of it. Because basically when we choose this over Christ, when we seek to find more pleasure in this over our Lord and Savior, we're telling Jesus, I'd rather serve 
love, worship, find satisfaction in this than in you. Paul, as we see in verse 16, comes into Athens and his spirit is provoked within him. So there are two things I want us to look at, but I think I've got like eight points. So number one, the first thing I want us to look at is I want us to look at Paul's motivation for spreading the gospel. All right, this whole, this whole text is about spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ in a world that does not believe God. Now, if we want to just, if, if we want to go more local in our context, if we just want to look at America, we can, we can absolutely without a doubt say that our nation does not know God. Even if it's in our pledge of allegiance, that we are under God. We're not under the God of this Bible, at least in our nation's worship. We're not. We serve many gods. God of money. God of sex. God of self, fame, popularity, reputation, identity. I mean, we're in the month of June. It's Pride Month. If you haven't noticed that, look on Facebook. And we, like Paul, should have a motivation for the spread of the gospel. And Paul's motivation begins here with first a heart for God and His glory. Paul's first motivation is a heart for God and His glory. Look at verse 16. Now while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. His spirit was provoked. When when we look at Old Testament scripture of what provoked entailed, it tends to lead to to a type of anger. A righteous type of anger. Because Paul looks at the idolatrous worship that is happening and he sees that it is disrespectful to the God of the universe. Does idolatry provoke our spirit? I'm asking you. When we, when, when we see this type of idol worship, does it infuriate us? Because we, we look within our world and, and we see it. We don't see people bowing down to statues of Zeus and Hermes. But we do see people bowing. We see people disrespecting the name of the creator of the universe. We see people basically spitting on the name of Christ. What, what's so wrong with somebody identifying as homosexual 
or even transgender. What is so wrong with that? One of the initial problems with that is it goes against God's created order. And it goes against our Imago Dei that we've been created with. But I'm not just talking about that. I'm talking about the worship that we have for pleasure and satisfaction. He sees this idolatry. Let, let, before I go on to what I want to talk about a little bit more, let, let's look at the second motive for Paul. First one is a heart for God and His glory. The second is a heart for people that are held to their idolatry. Now, Paul, his provoking of his spirit, there's a compassion. People are held in their sin. They are bound in their sin. They're held captive to it. Church, there should be a provoking in our spirit in which we are offended in the sense that it goes against God and His glory, but also it breaks our heart to see people who are so caught up in their sin they can't see Christ. Paul's got compassion, just like, just like Christ. When he, when he looked upon people like sheep without a shepherd, he has compassion. Church, Christ has compassion for you and me. In our sin, Christ wants to redeem us. He desires to take our sin from us. So if we want to be Christ-like in a world that does not even believe in Jesus, we should have a compassion for them. So the motivation that we should have in spreading the gospel comes out of our heart for God and His glory, but also our heart for people. Does it not break your heart that there are people dying and going to hell every day? If you truly understood the gospel, if you truly knew the reality of God's grace and the reality of God's wrath, you would seek to share the gospel with every person you came in contact with. Paul is provoked with this idol worship that is going on here. And he tells us in verse 17, So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him. I love sermon prep. I love studying and seeing what words are and mean, looking at history. When we look at Epicurean philosophy, these are the people who are who are looking to find satisfaction and pleasure and trying to get away from as much pain as possible. They're the type of people who will scream YOLO into an Instagram selfie video. Man, I said that weird. But they are the ones who will, you, you only live once. Like That's their type of life. They want to find every point of satisfaction and they'll do whatever it takes to get it. Those are your Epicureans. Then you've got your Stoics. Your Stoics are your fatalistic people. In other words, they just believe in fate. 
Take what comes. Grin it and bear it. No matter if it's painful or pleasurous. And neither one of these people, neither one of them believe in a God that works within our lives. Church, we have people like that today, that same type of philosophy in people's lives today. And even in certain believers. Can I, can I say that? Let go and let God. I understand what people are trying to say there. Let go and let God. But there is a sense in which God has called us to act and to be responsible. Another philosophy that has come into the church is this name it and claim it. I declare in Jesus' name that this will happen. That philosophy is saying you're God and that God should serve you in how you want him to. And that same philosophy is also this positive mindset of if I just think positively of my circumstances, then the universe is not going to bring anything negative into it. So why am I saying these things? There is a motivation that we should have for people to know the God of the Bible. There's a motivation that we should have for our children to be raised in homes where they're being taught who God is. And there's a motivation that we should have to reach our neighbors for the sake of Christ. So Paul is here and these philosophers come up to him. What does this babbler wish to say? Others says... Others say that he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus in the resurrection. This is weird to them. They don't believe in the resurrection of the dead. Paul is proclaiming this message. So after he proclaims this, this message, they decide to take him to the Oropagus. Now this place, the Oropagus is where all your thinkers gather. And I love talking about theology. There are several guys in this room where we'll get, get to, get together. And it's like getting on Instagram reels and time just flies because you're talking about theology and you're loving it. And the next thing you know, two hours passes by and your wife's calling you and chewing you out because you're not home yet. I love talking about and thinking about stuff like that. And that's what this Oropagus is, is it's a bunch of thinkers. And so they are bringing Paul to the Oropagus to explain his beliefs because they want to just know about it. Not, not because they want to be transformed by it. They have this, I want to know about it. Knowledge that doesn't lead to transformation. So this is where Paul goes. So number one, we're looking at the, at, at Paul's motive. Number two, let's look at Paul's method. Paul's method of evangelism here. This, but from, from 22 through 30, we see this method that Paul uses to share the gospel. Now we've, we've looked at methods before and, and a lot of times we need to have a type of method when it comes to sharing Christ. My favorite method is God, man, Christ re- response. Greg Gilbert's What is the Gospel Book? God, man, Christ response. So this is what Paul kind of does here in this 
passage. In verse 22, we see first that Paul meets them where they are. The first part of Paul's method with the Athenians is he meets them where they are. Look at verse 22. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Oropagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. Paul is not coming in and throwing out Old Testament texts with them. And there's a reason why. They don't know it. It'll go in one ear and out the other, and it's not going to do anything. Paul is meeting them where they are, contextually. I see that you are very religious. Can I say first, religion doesn't save We live in a world that says that whatever you believe, it's okay because all roads lead to Christ. All roads lead to heaven. All roads lead to enlightenment or all roads lead to satisfaction. Whatever you want to call it. All roads do lead to Christ, but only one road leads to salvation. Religion doesn't save, Christ does. So he comes to them. And he tells them, shows them where they are. And he steps into their world. We see in Corinthians where Paul says, I, be, I become like those so that some may be saved. He meets them where they are. We see in verse 28, it's weirdly enough, he uses Greek poetry. He quotes poetry to them to help get the gospel across to them. He meets them where they are. How does this work with with us? I've got a friend of mine, very good friend. Um, Our relationship has grown over the past seven or eight years. Um, I've, I've mentioned him, not by name, but in my sermons a few times. But this guy, we've had gospel conversations. He is lost. He is lost. But he will recommend books to me to read or movies to watch or TV shows to check out. I will intentionally read some of these books or watch some of these movies or watch some of these TV shows because I want to see where he is contextually and so that I can see opportunities to bring the gospel into our conversations about these things. For example, the Matrix trilogy. You see the Matrix? You can use it as a great illustration. Thank you, Trey, for answering that question. There are, and why is that? Because in our culture that we live in today, in our culture, in humanity, we are all created in the image of God. And All of our ethics, all of our decisions, all of our actions, everything we do can be pointed to the gospel in some way. Whether it's our inactions, whether it's uh, sins of of, uh, commission or omission, sins we do or sins we or or things we don't do that have brought about sin. We everything that can happen, we can point to the gospel. I try to do this with movies, books that we read, or yeah, we read. Um, not, I don't like doing that with sermons. I'll bring in illustrations, but I'm not going to preach a movie and then use the, the text as an illustration. 
We're going to preach the text. But we see here Paul's bringing in the Greek. So he meets them where they are. Secondly, Paul's method. He shows them the truth of God. Look at verse 24. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man, Adam, every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined a lot of periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him, yet he is actually not far from each one of us. Paul is showing them the truth of God in his method. He, he's bringing these people to see who God is. He's First, God is creator. You're over here worshiping all these gods that are made out of statues, but you're not worship, wor- worshiping the one creator. The one God. He tells them that God is sustainer. Nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything. He himself gives gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. He is redeemer. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods in the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. These are, these are the Greeks. These Greeks think that they're superior over everyone else. Now, are we not living in a time where there are accusations of racial superiority? But Paul says here in verse 26, he made from one man every nation of mankind. There is not one group of people more superior than another group of people. There's not. And believers, let me tell you, you are not more superior than non-believers. You are just as in need of grace. But what Paul is getting at here in verse 26, there's one race. There's one race. The human race. God has made from one man. We all share the same ancestor. Adam. He's showing them the truth of God. Thirdly, he gets them to Jesus. Verse 29, being then God's offspring, talking about us, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. So if you're sharing the gospel with somebody, contextually be where they are, show them the truth of who God is, get them to Jesus. This is what Paul does here. We all come from one man, Adam, but... One day we will all be judged by a man whom God has appointed and he's given assurance of this by raising him from the dead. Paul's telling them, you lost in your sin, worshiping these fake gods who do nothing but sit there and look at you because they're stone. You are in need of Jesus Christ because one day you will be judged by him. He gets them to Jesus. Paul's showing us in verse 21 that the resurrection is the center of redemptive history. 
If it wasn't for the resurrection, we'd have nothing. There'd be no hope. Get them to Jesus. And lastly, with Paul's message, watch their response. Verse 32. Now when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. Others said, we will hear you again about this. So Paul went out from their midst, but some men joined him and believed. Understand, church, that when you share the gospel, there are going to be multiple responses. Some will mock and reject you. They'll make fun of you for the message that you proclaim like people do now. They think you're ridiculous. They think that this God who created all things doesn't exist, so why should you believe? Just live your life how you want to live it. They'll mock you. Secondly, they might be curious. They'll want to come back. Others said, we will hear you again about this. They want to continue that conversation. Let me tell you, if they mock you and reject you, move on. That conversation may come up again, but don't get hung up on it. Trust God's sovereignty with it. Move on. Some people are going to want to continue that conversation. They want to hear more about it. And then thirdly, others believed. Look at verse 34. But some men joined him and believed, among whom were also Dionysius the Oropagite, which is more than likely a guy who was in the middle of this conversation. Listen the whole time. In the Oropagus. And then a woman named Damaris and others with them. Church, understand that it is not on you for them to respond to the gospel. It's not. You cannot control how people respond. I wish, I wish I could. I wish, I wish most days that if I could just get it right, that they would just respond right. But here's the thing. If it was up to us for them to respond right to the gospel, nobody would respond. Nobody. We trust God's sovereignty in their response. As we proclaim the message of the gospel, God's working within their hearts. And God already has worked within their hearts. I came to know Christ at the age of six. I was at Awana one night, and our teacher told me that if I were to die in a car wreck on the way home and I haven't put my faith and trust in Jesus, I was going to go to hell. So I got into the car, and I looked at my mom when she came and picked me up, and I said, I want to know Jesus. And she said, well, let's get home, and your dad can talk to you. whole time, I'm praying to God we didn't get into a car wreck on the ride home. That night I received Christ, September 12, 1994. And I'm thankful for that night. My dad led me to the Lord that evening. But it wasn't just because of that instance. Ever since I was born, my entire family, both, of, both sets of, of my grandparents, my parents, Christ was a priority. I was brought to church. Taking to Sunday school. I was, I was read Bible stories at nighttime. There was an impact. So un, what I'm getting at is this. When you share the gospel with somebody, you don't know what has already happened within their lives prior. 
God's already working within their life up to the moment where you share their, you share the gospel with them. And God's going to continue working in their lives after. Trust that God's going to do the work. We need to have a motivation to share the gospel and we need to have a method of meeting them where they are, showing them the truth and getting them to Jesus and then watch their response. I know we've been pushing over the past couple years here this evangelism, who's your one kind of thing. I pray, and you might even be thinking this morning as we're going through this, I pray you have somebody on your heart that you need to be praying for daily to come to know Jesus Christ. That you need to be seeking the opportunities to share the gospel with them. And if you don't have somebody on your heart, you need to come hang out with me at the coffee shop and I'll I'll give you some people that you can be praying for. You need to come hang out with me when we go on mission trips and we'll, we'll give you some people to be praying for. I pray that you do have a motivation for that. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your gospel, God. Help us. Help us to have a motivation to share Christ. Help us to have a motivation of our love for you, our heart for you and for your glory, that your name is made known. But also help us to have a heart for our neighbor, for our spouse, our children, distant family member, co-worker, a friend. God, I pray that you would help us. Help us to have a motivation to share Christ with them for those that don't know you. Give us the opportunities. Give us the words and the wisdom. And then help us to meet them where they are. Help us to to be a part of their lives. Help us to find opportunities to bridge to the gospel, to show them the truth of who you are, of your existence, of your character. And God, help us get them to the cross. Help us show them who Christ is and what he's done for us. So God, I pray that you would place people in our paths this week as we do this. We ask this in your son's precious name we pray. Amen.